Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. Years ago, I was spiritually asleep. That's a euphemism. I was pretty much comatose or dead if you were to ask anybody who knew me about what was going on spiritually in me. And I left this city, Minneapolis, hell-bent on my own achievement, my own success, my own sort of dreams and plans and this incredible, you know, awesome thing I was going to do. And then um, when I got to where I was going, the Lord in his kindness sort of made all of those things crumble into pieces. And in that season, he awakened me spiritually so that I could see not only my own sin and my need for Jesus, who I had heard plenty about. Like, it wasn't like I had never heard the name of Jesus. It wasn't like I had never been to a church before. But it was like, it was just, it was nothing to me. And so God changed that sort of selfish, driven, about me, and let's achieve, and flip the script as I started to sort of grow in Christ and then begin to influence other people spiritually. I began to see pretty quickly, it wasn't about me being on top and me being great. It was about me being on bottom and me serving, helping, giving whatever insights, whatever effort I could muster towards other people growing in their own spiritual journey and in their faith. And that, a decade-long process of that, the shift from me being on top and about me to me being on bottom and it being about Jesus, landed Laura and I with a desire to move back here. Every time we would come around this part of the city, we'd just feel this like heaviness, this desire to see God do something here. And so we realized that we wanted to come back and to start a church, not just for ourselves, but for the people in these neighborhoods and for our friends who didn't know Jesus yet. We didn't want to just start a church for the church's sake, but for the peace and benefit of the whole city. And we didn't just want to start a ministry that's singular. We wanted to see communities come together and then grow and multiply such that not even one community, but maybe many communities or many churches might be planted such that there would be renewal and new life breathed into existing churches and there would be new churches starting such that many people could experience the spiritual awakening that we had. And after we got back here, I, um, I started to kind of explore the area. I felt like I had known it as someone who passed through, but I had not known it as someone who stayed, someone who um, lived. Uh, I could know the stats, I could know what's going on, but I didn't know it as home. And so I would ask people, um, whether it's a coffee shop, I'd ask a neighbor, I'd go to the bank and ask somebody. People would ask what I do, and I'm like, well, I gotta tell them, you know? And, but so inevitably that would lead to a spiritual conversation, right? Because I'm the pastor, and, which is a blessing and a curse when you're in a conversation like that, all right? Um, but I would always say, hey, what do you, th- just, I'm just curious, like, what do you think God's like? I mean, it's okay if you don't think God exists at all. Like, a, that's a fair answer. But like, what's your concept of God? How would you describe God? And as I talked with people and heard many people answer the question and story after story started to sort of mount up, there was a theme that emerged. 
And we moved back here with no idea of what we were doing or of, a, or of what kind of church this city needed. And as I asked that, that question, I started to be convinced of the kind of church that the gospel in South Minneapolis could create and should create. And it was one where people started to experience God as something other than distant. That's how people describe God. Distant. Now, maybe you know what our name means, maybe you don't. Our name is Emmanuel Fellowship, which means God with us. So the answer, the sort of the spiritual response to what was going on as I sort of surveyed the area is that people need to encounter the God of the Bible who is not a God who is distant and removed, but a God who is remarkably and graciously present. And so as I started to think about that, I, I began to envision what could happen, right? So, I mean, this is, that's who I am. I'm just like idea bubbles going off and dreaming and thinking. And, but these dreams are not terminating on me anymore. They're terminating on this, the good of the city and on God and his fame. And, and so I started to think, okay, wait a minute. What would it be like if people really were alive to the presence of God? Like if, if they saw God as everywhere, like, and they were vitally connected to God and then radiating with his grace and truth, and the, the God of the Bible and the God that they had come to know was not someone who's distant or compartmentalized or ritualized, um, but God, a God who is present everywhere. Who could not be reached with a message of hope about Jesus if that was true? What injustices in our city could we not band together with the power of God to seek to correct? How would we not then develop and train people within every vocation to go into their areas of work as a light and then to shine goodness and hope and truth? And why would we not just start one church? Maybe by God's grace, that church would be healthy and would grow, and he would be present within it, and then it would multiply into communities gathering around the city, and in even more communities, such that light would increasingly shine and saturate this city that experiences darkness. Let me ask you, if you were awakened, or more so, to the presence and power of King Jesus, what would change in your life? The way you approach work, maybe your relationships, perhaps um, your friendship with a person who doesn't believe, you'd maybe be more bold or talk with them. You see, acknowledging the gracious presence of Jesus is powerful. And here's what I started to piece together as I thought on this, and it started to make sense. Emmanuel was our first name, and fellowship was our last name, and here's why. Because as I looked at the scriptures, and I read stories about Jesus again and again, I started to think about, okay, what is the effect of God's presence in Jesus? And there are many things, to be clear, right? He teaches, and people come to know and understand about God. He, he heals, and people are made well. Like, he does miraculous things, and people glorify God. There's many things that mark the presence of Jesus. But one of the most surprising things, if you really look closely, and one of the most pertinent things for our area of South Minneapolis is that the very presence of Jesus seems to cause the normal dividing lines within society to fade. Not as if our differences are insignificant. 
Not as if they don't matter to Jesus. Not as if ethnicity or education level or economic status or culture of origin or any of that. Not as if any of that is, doesn't matter or should be discarded. But if those things are understood in light of the presence of Jesus, there is this remarkable unified fellowship that creates, that's created by the presence of God. Jesus was always crossing boundary lines and gathering people in. It was beautiful to watch. It's wonderful to read. Friends, that is why we exist as a church. We exist as a church because King Jesus is present and does have power and is still awakening people to God. Just as he did me, just as maybe he's done for you, and just as he promises to do for many of the people in the city and many of the people in our neighborhoods. And because that's true, we have hope for so many areas of life. Because the presence of God is real, like our, our work changes. Because God's presence is real, like our families can learn faithfulness. Our neighborhoods can see justice, right? Our city could even begin to taste the good life, a life that's of flourishing, Real collaboration across tribal lines could become normal. Genuine revival, even, could be possible because of Jesus. That's why we started this thing. That is why we exist as a group, as a church. That is the very vision on the hills in the landscape that pulls us forward. So now let's study the Bible. This morning, here's what we're going to do. I want to look at this passage from Ephesians because it connects to our vision very clearly, and I want to show us a couple things. When God awakens you to the presence and power of King Jesus, here's what happens. The result is new life. That's number one. And then new sight. That's number two. And finally, new purpose. Number three. And then I'll get out your way and we'll play some more good music. Deal? All right. Ephesians chapter 5. When God awakens you to the presence and power of King Jesus, new life is the result. Okay? Look at at me at verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And if you flip down to the end of the passage we read, you see a similar theme, almost like bookending this section, okay? Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. This is what happened for me. God's light shone into my life, and all of a sudden I started to see the areas of darkness. Like I couldn't escape the fact that I had darkness within me. Not just that it was out there, but it was within me. And I started to see all of the ways that I was just greedy and coveting of what other people had. And when light started to shine into my life, all of a sudden that changed to the fact that I wanted to contribute what I had, even if it was just meager, even if it was just crumbs, rather than demand that God give me what other people had. Darkness was in my life in the, forms of, in the form of impurity. We'll read that in this passage here. And then all of a sudden, like this immoral life that I was living started to get exposed. And I was like, I, 
I don't know if I can do this stuff anymore. And I began to turn from those things and walk in the path of life. New life flooded into my soul, and King Jesus became not just sort of an idea or the king, but he became my king as I had firsthand knowledge of who he is and what he does. This passage is talking about conversion. Now, that might be a scary term for you. It might be an off-putting term for you, but it is the reality of what happens, that there are those walking around in patterns of life that are dark, and even spiritual condition that is dark, and that they need, just like we need, the very light of God to shine and expose, and then the call to awake Oh, the, the idea of sleep here is at best a euphemism for death. You see that, right? Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When you become awakened to the reality of Jesus, you move from death to life. You move from darkness to light. You move from dry to full. You move from thirsty to quenched. There is a decisive change, and sometimes it is gradual. Sometimes it is gentle. But in the end, it is decisive. What does it mean to be woke spiritually? To be spiritually woke is to be saved. But I think this passage hints at more than that. It's to be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, surely, right? But, but more than saved is at stake for us, and I would say more than saved is at stake for us as a church if we want to head in the direction that God has called us to. Not only do we need to be saved by God, but we need to grow sensitive to God. Part of wakefulness is a sensitivity to God in all of life, an awareness that God is there and that he is with you wherever you are. That is the effect of being awakened to the presence and power of King Jesus. And here are the clues. We can see some of them in the passage. You remember that you were once in darkness. That's a clue. You remember a time when things were dark, and you regularly then turn from darkness because it seems to press in all around us. No matter where we are, there's temptation towards things that are not light. And the mark that spiritual life is in you is that you see those things and then consistently abstain from going there. Or when you find yourself there, you turn again to the light. That is a mark of spiritual life. Another clue is that your posture starts to shift. Rather than being resistant to God, your posture starts to turn towards welcoming Him. No matter where you are, you don't have territory or turf to protect anymore. Like, the whole neighborhood is God's hood for you. He is there, and it is His. Your welcome of Him changes. And then you also start to see the presence of God through the course of your daily life. Your spirituality starts to pulse like a heartbeat rather than flatline and spike every once in a while. Like the very heart or the very breath within you, your relationship with God has this cadence that grows such that you begin to navigate life 
and work and decision-making and relationships with God. That's what it means to be sensitive or awakened to God's presence. But here's the deal. God woke me spiritually and then culturally. He woke me spiritually and then culturally. Sort of like the Apostle Peter. Not like him very much, but, but, but in this way I am. Because Peter was awakened to who Jesus is. He's the one who first said, Jesus, you are the king. You're the Christ. I'm going to follow you. And then he was blinded to all of his own Jewish self-righteousness. All of the ways in which his position and privilege as a Jewish man led him to have trouble in loving other people who were different than him. And then over time, Jesus, by his grace, awakened Peter not only spiritually, but culturally. He gave Peter new sight. And this is what happens when God awakens you to the presence and power of King Jesus. You gain not just new life, but you gain new sight. Okay, I've been careful to say King Jesus for a reason. Because in my experience, when I start talking to people about the presence of God, here's what happens. There are those who love the presence of God and embrace the presence of God because Jesus is their buddy that they kind of take along with them, but really has no power at all in their life. He sort of like comes along, helping you do the things you want to do, and is an encouragement and clapping and saying, you do you. And people love God to be present in that way because there's never any confrontation that comes. But there's other people who approach the presence of God and say, you know what, I'm not sure about the presence thing, but a position of power, that makes sense for Jesus. He has got all power and authority, but it is a distant and a formalized and a transcendent kind of power. But here's the deal. The scriptures teach and the earliest Christian creeds enunciate that Jesus was both God, fully God, and fully man. He does have all power. He does have position. He is the God who created all things. But he also is present and longs to be present so much so that that very God figured out a way to come into a human body and walk in flesh so that we might know what God is like. Because Jesus is king, he has the right to reshape the way you see the world. And if you walk with him, he will give you new sight. With new life comes new sight. Look at verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You begin to see light. And the passage says there's three things that characterize light. Goodness, which is a kind of virtue. It is uh, an equity. It is a generosity. Uh, right or righteousness, which is a fairness, a justice. And then truth, which is sincerity. You've probably experienced those things and go, they're kind of refreshing when someone is sincere with me, rather than constantly having an agenda. 
It's kind of refreshing when someone is generous with me and not constantly thinking about how am I going to get from this person or maybe I'll give them something and they'll get me something in return. It's kind of refreshing when someone treats you with a fairness and an equity that doesn't normally mark our society. That's because light is shining. Darkness, in contrast, is the opposite. Let me read to you about it. It's actually, there's a, there's a good description in the, the verses preceding what we read. This is verse number three in chapter five. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. And then the verse we've read, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, covetousness, worshiping other things that are not God, those are the things that mark darkness. And if I look at my own story, I could look at sexual immorality and go, check, that was me. I could look at just like impure or kind of like shady practices and actions. Yep, that was me. Bad motives, that was me. If I look at idolatry, which really is what we talked about at the beginning of the service, giving worth and worship, serving, loving, obeying, living for someone other than God, yeah, I put all sorts of other things in that God spot. That's me, check. Greed, coveting, wanting what's not mine, check. Those things mark darkness. But here's what happened. As light started to shine, I began to see good and evil. I began to know right and wrong. I began to spot truth and falsehood in ways that I never, never had before. And that, that first started for me personally, and then all of a sudden it started to spread beyond that. It didn't stop with me, right? Of course it started there because like one of the things that I worshipped was my own sort of self-expression and individual achievement, right? So I had to somehow get freed from me in order to start seeing others. The waters we swim in value the individual and your own happiness and expression like nothing else. So long before I had read this book, Divided by Faith, which outlines how prevalent the approach, especially of white Americans, to the world that is solely based on the individual is, it is everywhere. God started awakening me to that reality. And here's a funny way he did it. So I was a college athlete, and I'm going to keep talking about that, trying to work myself back into a fitness routine, you know. Um, and maybe you had contact with athletes in college. If not, um, I'm glad for you. Um, <laughs> but there's, there was something about the way athletes worked on my campus, such that by the institution's effort and even by the expectation of the other students, 
we were like another class of student. Like we sort of sat above and had all of these privileges and advantages and access that the other students didn't have. And it was kind of like, you knew that, you know, when you're in a class and they're like, oh, he's an athlete, like, they're going to go easy on him, you know? Or like, oh, you like, you, seriously, you could go to the dining hall and they'd be like, oh, man, I forgot my card. It's okay, like, you're, like you play sports, like, let's feed you, you know? Like, it, that, those are trivial things. But the whole thing was set up, and I started then to see the very, the very way that myself before I knew Jesus and my teammates consistently used all of those things to their own advantage and leverage in ways that were dark. And the very culture of my team was one that was broken and had darkness in it. I began to not just see me, but the way that darkness had affected a whole group of people, and then not even a whole culture, but the, whole, the institution or the system of the school started to become apparent to me that why are we giving all of these people, why, why have we spent millions and millions and millions of dollars building new athletic buildings and the, the language arts or the creative arts building has not been updated in 85 years and is falling apart? Inequity, systemic injustice from college sports. Now, that's trivial compared to what we, if we open our eyes and are awakened by King Jesus. And listen, I had, I had the privilege of not being awakened to these realities because of the color of my skin for much of my life. And some of you, that's not your story. But if we do awaken our eyes to see the very city that we live in, we could easily look at treatment of refugees or policing or education or housing or lending or any other system and see the effects of darkness. The gospel has given me eyes to see things which the color of my skin made me not have to. The gospel woke me spiritually, and then it woke me culturally. Now, woke is a term that maybe you've heard, and the way in which Pan-Africanists or black nationalists or popular culture in general use the term probably fits squarely with what we've been talking about, right? It is an awareness of the very structures and systems of injustice and equity and evil that perpetuate much to the lack of knowledge of many of the people in this country, okay? That issue has been pressing in our society as of late. Would you not would you say, okay? But here, what I'd love you to, I'd love you to see is that even though those concepts are, are old, I mean, awakening is really, I mean, it's old as the Bible here, thousands of years, and even though it's been, um, let's see, many years um, since W.E.B. Du Bois wrote about this idea of double consciousness, the reality of someone who is of, the, of a minority culture, particularly African Americans, having to see through the lens of majority culture and, through the, and then reevaluate their own experience based on that, this double take and consciousness, I think there is a guy who I deeply respect, a pastor, who has taken the conversation further in a helpful way. This is Dr. Eric Mason, and he says there are three levels of wokeness. This is where worldview starts to come into play. The first one is, how does majority culture view me? The second is, how do I view myself in light of all that? And then the third is, 
a kind of Christ consciousness. How does the kingdom of God and of Christ affect the way that I view myself and the way that I navigate this very difficult society that we live in? Listen to what Dr. Eric Mason says in his book, Woke Church. Being truly woke is rooted in Christ consciousness. This is the anchor. This is the common ground. At the core, without being conscious in Christ, our souls are still in bondage and can only see things from a natural, fleshly appearance. Our Christ consciousness gives the double consciousness of W.E.B. Du Bois depth and character. So let me ask you, do you have new sight? Do you have eyes to see darkness and light? Do you have eyes to see individual, social, cultural, systemic? Perhaps the Lord is awakening you to those realities this morning. But here, as we look back through the halls of history, look at somebody like Dr. King or um, Dr. Du Bois is how he preferred to be um, recognized. Here's what you see. You see people from those leaders all the way back to the Apostle Paul who was dealing with inequity between Jews and Gentiles, trying to sort out how the light of the gospel shines into a particular society and brings justice, fairness, and equity. And here's the reality that you find. Once you're woke, there's work to do. Once you're woke, there's work to do. And that's why when you're awakened to the presence and power of King Jesus, he gives you a new purpose. A new purpose. Not the discovery of your best life now or your best you tomorrow, right? Anybody who tells you that you can have that here is probably deluded because, listen, your best life is in glory. It ain't going to be next week, okay? So if you think you can have the best this month or this year, it's just not happening. But there is a best you that is coming in the future, and and the Lord Jesus is going to bring it. But here, it is a picture and a purpose that is far beyond your individual dreams and desires and wants. God wants to wrap you up into something much grander than yourself, much bigger than you would set your eyes or your sight on, right? And if you and I, friends, have been awakened by King Jesus, here's the reality. We belong to him. And he belongs to us. He's ours, right? And we have been blessed by him, and we have been charged boldly by him to shine light into the world. The the core purpose that we have as those who have wakened to the presence and power of Jesus is to shine the goodness, the righteousness, the truth of God wherever we are. And friends, wherever God is for that matter. And where is God? Everywhere. Like, that's, that's our name at the core. God is with us wherever we go. And here, we're going to teach this in a few months in the book of Philippians, but i got to steal from it, okay? Your purpose is, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, this is Philippians 2, to shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. We're to bring light to the world around us. And the reality is that darkness presses on us, and and darkness flexes its muscles often, and darkness is intimidating, and darkness keeps you want to close, keeps keeps you want to have your mouth closed, and it makes you not want to step out of line, and it makes you want to keep going with the status quo. Darkness flexes its muscles often, 
but you belong to the one who will silence darkness in the end. If you love Jesus, you belong to the one who will silence darkness and shine everlasting light with one word. The one whose eyes are fire. The one whose voice sounds like many waters. The one whose words are like a two-edged sword. The one who holds the stars in his very hand. The one who has Lord of Lords and King of Kings tattooed on his leg. The one who reigns now and forever. The one whose face is as blazing as the sun. Whatever kind of darkness you face, there ain't no match for him. And you belong to him. Do you believe that this morning? That is ultimate reality. That is what's really true. So let's look at this passage one more time, and I want to show you the call to action. I want to show you the work that it has for us to do, and then we will move on. Okay, ready? There are five verbs in the end of this passage that are commands for us to do. Well, not verbs, they're commands. Um, here's number one. Walk as children of light. Walk about, roam about, go, frequent. Let light accompany you. I've got an older brother and a younger sister, and uh, we kind of look alike. There's some family resemblance. And I remember a couple times as we were coming up through school, I would have classes that my brother had had or teachers that my brother had had. And like, eventually, it would come to the point where they'd go like, oh, like, you're a Sensky. There's just something about, like, the way we looked or the way we acted, the way we approached school. We are to walk as children of light so that people go, oh, you're of the light. Oh, your, your coworkers go, there's something unique about that person. Your neighbors go, what is, why is there kind of, like, goodness and rightness and generousness about this person? Why does light seem to characterize this person? Walk as children of light. Number two, discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That is to test, to examine, to choose the authentic over the counterfeit. You are to sort through, to analyze, to think about what's the real and what's the fake. And you're to choose that which is real. And you're not to do that to gain the pleasure of the Lord. That's already been given to you in spiritual life. God's pleased with you. He loves you. His grace is for you. You don't do these works or you don't discern in order to become pleasing to God. You would never become pleasing enough if you tried that way. But you do that because you love your king and you want to please him. Number three, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. Take no part to join, to participate, to go along with. Listen, part of the way that you shine light in the world is just by abstaining from things. You just say, no, I'm good. It's really that simple. It's really that simple. You say, no, thanks. That in itself shines light and exposes things that are dark. Maybe it's a bachelor party that's going to the strip club and you're like, no, nah, no thanks, I don't want to go. Maybe it's a work project that's like, if you go around that person's back, you can get it done. And you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. I want to speak straight to them. Maybe it's you're out with friends and it's another round of drinks and you're like, no, I'm, I'm good. I don't need another round. 
Maybe it's something that your family always does around the holidays, and then you finally get together with them again, and you're like, you know what? I'm not going to do that this year. Sometimes abstaining from walking in paths of darkness, you fill in the blank for what darkness is, is the clearest way you just shine the light. Number four, expose works of darkness. This is the challenge right here, right? Expose means rebuke, refute, expose one's fault, implying that there is a convincing that needs to happen that people are in darkness and an invitation towards the light. And I'm sorry to say it involves using your words. It means having conversation with people. Even the way, I mean, some of what I'm doing right now is exposing darkness. But what we want to do as a church is create a place where it's okay for that to happen, where even if darkness is exposed, shame is not inflicted, but invitation towards hope and towards light is made. But, so, so here's what that could look like. Many people are not even thinking about spiritual things at all. So part of the way you might just like expose darkness is to say, hey, somebody's doing something that just doesn't make any sense. And you just ask a question like, why are you doing that? And it serves as a spiritual wake-up call for them. Maybe somebody's going on about how fun darkness is and how, how, how fulfilling it is. And you're just like, really? And I feel like I tried that and it kind of kept coming up empty for me. Sometimes just saying really to someone, all of a sudden like sticks your foot and your neck out there and helps someone go, actually, yeah, I've been doing that for a while and like I just, I just feel bad after it every time. Like, I've been kind of fighting guilt, but it's supposed to be fun. Maybe you say, yeah, I used to be doing that, and I kept feeling lost. Some things just can't be true, and sometimes you got to say it. Sometimes people say stuff, you're just like, hey, can you explain that? That just doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure that's right. (laughs) Maybe... I guess. Maybe that's okay. Like, can you help me understand why that's valuable to you? I'd love to know why you're interested in that. Sometimes curiosity about the assumptions of darkness are the simplest way to shine light. And then finally, speak. Verse 14, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. We must speak words of light and hope. We must have within us an ability to say, yeah, I know this guy. His name is Jesus. He is the light of the world. And it sounds crazy. Like, literally, it sounds crazy that God made a world and then entered into it as a human being. But that's what happened. And he did it because he loves us. And he did it because he wanted a relationship with us. Light is shining if you would just awaken to it. Jesus will shine upon you. And as crazy as it sounds, he lived a couple thousand years ago. He lived perfectly. He died sacrificially. He rose in victory. And all of his work could be applied to you because your work would never be enough. We've got to, as Christians, and even as a church, Create space where the gospel is communicated and the invitation to awaken is made.
Jesus is still awakening people. Here in this room, here in these streets, here in your workplaces, and in your family. That's why we exist as a church. We want to see people come alive to God and to know his presence and power and to walk with him because he is so worthy. Jesus is the ultimate woke man, right? He's the one who is full goodness, full righteousness, full truth. He's the one who alone can bring spiritual life into a dead soul. He is the one alone who can breathe into you and help you not just wake up, but become brand new. New life, new sight, new work and purpose for you to do. We're going to move to um, a time of service where we respond to God. And we do that several ways each week, right? We sing, we pray, um, we give time to, you know, read prayers or write um, on connect cards. We um, have an offering plate that's real old school to give to the work that the Lord is doing through us. And then we each week take communion. Communion really is a reminder for us that God is present. Throughout history, people have battled back and forth about how present Jesus is in this very thing. And the reality is, he is really present. And he works power week by week as we come and receive the grace of God afresh. As we come saying, Lord, I do want eyes to see. Lord, I do want to live new life. Lord, I do want to live for your purposes in the world. So come this morning, and if that's you, if you, if you say, yeah, I'm, I, I'm awakened to, to King Jesus, and I want to live for him, this meal is for you. And if you would say, I'm not, I don't buy it yet, that's okay. We're glad you're here. In fact, we prayed and we planned for you to be here. There's prayers you could read on the card. There's stuff you could process based on what we've talked about. There's even just a moment where you could sit and be Reflect and think. How often do you do that? But don't perform some spiritual ritual that isn't, you know, that isn't authentic to where you're at. Rather, take this time to let the real God meet the real you. Um, so we're going to have the servers come up and they will come down front and um, they will rip a piece of the bread. This is how we take communion. Uh, and they will place it in your hands come with your hands cupped, and then you can grab that and dip it into the juice, which represents, of course, the wine and the blood of Jesus. If you um, have allergies um, or intolerances, there's a gluten-free option that we're going to leave on the table with its own chalice there for you um, so that you can partake as well. Um, Let me pray for us as we um, transition to communion. Father, um, the Bible that you've given us um, has some sincerity to it, even some seriousness to it. And I feel the heaviness of darkness and light. But it is true. Would you give us eyes to see light? Would you awaken those who are still sleeping spiritually? And would you 
energize us, invigorate us, give us resources, power, and desire to be about your purposes in the world and to shine the very light that we have come to know and delight in wherever we are. So meet us here, Lord, as we respond to your word and we respond to the ways that you've been working among us. Lord, convict those who need to be convicted. Um, Would you comfort those who need comforting? Would you, Spirit, do what only you can do, which is meet the individuals in this room? And would you also speak to us collectively as a church, awakening us to your presence and your power in the world? In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.